Listen to WGN Radio's newest podcast, Behind the Badge, Illinois, hosted by David Hochberg. Behind the Badge, Illinois, views current events through the eyes of Illinois law enforcement leaders. Tune in. Visit WGNRadio.com slash Behind the Badge. Hey, Reg, how you doing today, my friend? Oh, my, this microphone. Can we keep people out of this studio until... <laughs> I know it's not my own studio, but... Oh, man. It shouldn't be this difficult either, but it is. I don't know why. Okay, ready? All right. That sound good? Am I am I in it now? It's all different shapes and different areas and different heights. Okay. <laughs> all right. Are you ready to go? Because I am. All right. Let's do this thing. Put it in the books. Episode three eighty five. I'll give you the uh, three S's and the countdown. You give me the music. I'll give you a podcast. Okay, my friend. Good. 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 All right. Here we go. Star, smile, strong. Here we go. Three, two, one. Hey, it's Elton Jim Toronto, and this is Captain Podtastic. And welcome to another episode of Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic. Every Monday, a new episode is posted at WGNRadio.com or wherever you go to find your favorite podcast. Guess who's just sitting there waiting for you? Yes, sir. Just leaning upon a lamppost. You and me, babe, how about it? (laughs) Of course, listening to this podcast is good it's 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 probably the most important rung on the ladder but there are other rungs and the other rung is to get out there and tell your friends and tell your family and tell anybody who listens to a podcast that your favorite podcast is elton jim's captain podtastic and it should be theirs too your loyalty and devotion and your stick-to-itiveness and your excitement is much, 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 much appreciated. If you like what you hear, whether you're a long-time listener or new to the podcast, don't forget you can go to WGNRadio.com anytime you'd like, hit the prompt for the podcast, and then hit the prompt for this specific podcast, and my gosh, not only will you be sitting there waiting for you, you will be overcome with podcasts just load more scroll down scroll down been doing this since may of 2016 and this is episode 385 i have certainly shared with you over the years that music is one of my favorite hobbies i do not play an instrument when I was a little kid in about fifth grade, uh, when I was beginning to, well, I already had begun to to like Elton John, um, and so, of course, the idea of possibly learning how to play the piano crept into my young mind at the time, and as luck would have it, I noticed as I would walk up and down my street that that across the street, in about maybe ten houses down from my house across the street, I had I had seen a little sign in the window that said piano lessons. And so it was like, oh my gosh, it's it's you can't get much more convenient than this, right? I mean, literally, across the street, a three minute walk. It was almost begging me to take these piano lessons. I I was, uh, you know, I mean, here we are, you know, how many years later, decades and decades later, and I'm uh, still an Elton John fan. I've seen him in concert 215 times and, and other things, and my gosh, I have collections and the whole deal, and, um, 
And so, as I said, the idea of playing the piano in my wild kind of adolescent, not even adolescent as my little kid dreams to be as good as him, <laughs> uh, you know, was, was, would be like, I'll be great to play the piano and play all those Elton John songs, not just listen to them, but actually play them. How great would that be? And uh, I was okay. I was I was young at the time, and they always say take piano lessons or any instrument when you were young, and I certainly was young. Um, but I just I didn't have that natural talent for it. I mean, I I, I did well in my lessons, but I really had to work hard at it. It didn't come naturally. It wasn't like I could just sit down um, and know what the, what the the key, what sounds the key was going to make. I have a pretty good memory. I have a very good memory, which has uh, you know helped me well in my life. But and so I think that I played okay as I was taking lessons, I only took them for about a year and a half. And I could just see that I, it wasn't, it, I, 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 it wasn't clicking. It was hard work. And I, and then I, and I, and I was struggling. It was, it, it, it took me a while. It just wasn't natural. And I then knew that I would never be as good as Elton John. Few are obviously, but it just wasn't, it wasn't coming to me and that's Okay. I'm glad I tried. I can still play a, a, a few little songs. Or what I did try to do is learn at least the introductions to some Elton John songs, um, and I can still play some of those. Uh, and I can read music to some extent, but once again, it, it, it's not easy. I, I mean, I, I, when, I, when I look at the at the notes, I know if that's an E or a C. I, I know that, but I don't know what that necessarily sounds like. Or, you know, a chord progression or know that, oh, this, you need a flat here. That stuff. Music, I don't know if anybody, if you play an instrument, I I have great respect and and adoration for you. Because if you play an instrument, uh, boy, that's something that I've always just wanted to do. But it just didn't come easy to me. And, uh, and, And music is like a language unto itself. It, 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 it. It really is. It, it, and if you ever sit down with musicians and hear them talk to one another, and I've had that opportunity on many occasions, it is, it's so interesting because they are speaking their own language to each other. And if you are not into it, you feel like you do if you go to a foreign country or if you're, or if you're by a conversation with two people that are not speaking a language that you're aware of. You feel completely, uh, to me, I'm in awe of this language uh, to, to see them conversing in it and, and going back and forth. And at the same time, I'm kind of bummed out that I can't participate in it. So I said, I can, I can read music in terms of I still remember uh, you know the different notes and where they're at and the stuff, but the, but the whole idea of oh you know the G minor what I, that stuff just it didn't come easy to me. I had to work hard at it. And as I was saying about my memory, I think uh, I was able to play songs, and, and and you know my 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 piano teacher gave me different pieces to learn. But I think I learned them not because I had the instinctual knowledge of the next note and what would sound right and what would sound wrong or what wasn't correct uh, in terms of the scales and, and and the certain rules and structures of music. I didn't have that, I didn't grasp that kind of a knowledge of it. But I was able to play because I practiced enough, and so I memorized where my hands should go. And so I was, I was playing more by memory than by feel. 
by the repetition and the memory, I was I knew where to go next. But it wasn't musically instinctual. It was more memory. And I and and so to me, I mean, I couldn't just sit. I mean, I could sit down and play those songs that I knew because I had practiced them and they were in my memory. But I, it was difficult. I couldn't just sit down. Most most people that can play an instrument, um, you know, they they feel so comfortable that if they've never seen the the music before if the music is laid about in front of them whether it's guitar or piano or or whatever instrument violin whatever it may be um they they automatically begin to play in the correct time signature and they they are they're they're moving along with the they know where the notes are they're not even looking at their hands and they're just reading the notes and playing along and they they certainly play it through it might not be perfect but they play it through because they have that ability i was not able to do that i would i would have to go and search for the notes and 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 figure that out and then repeat it and repeat it and repeat it until i i memorized it and so i knew at an early age this i was not it was not coming natural to me so as I said, uh, I, I, I have a great, uh, I don't have a regret. I'm just, I just don't have the musical talent, the, that inherent musical talent. Certainly, uh, if you have that and then you go to lessons and you learn how to perfect it, that's great. I just sadly did not have that ability uh, instinctually. I mean, some people, you can see, they just, they sit down, they play by ear. They don't even know the, I mean, Paul McCartney, Perhaps, if not the uh, greatest pop music songwriter in in history, and that's not even over an exaggeration, Paul McCartney does not read music. This is a guy that's written some of the greatest songs in the history of, of mankind, if you will. Certainly some of the most popular in the last 50 years. And he doesn't read music he doesn't write he they when when they when when he and john or he would, would write a song or still writes a song if there's sheet music there somebody has to transcribe those notes that's why george martin was so key to the beatles because george martin was a formally trained musician and so john and paul in the early days of the Beatles, when they were the chief songwriters, they were just plugging away at their instruments, whether it was a piano or a guitar, finding chords, finding melodies, um, knowing the notes, knowing the chords, certainly. It's not as if they don't know them. This is a G, this is a C, this, you know, they, they know the, the, the notes and the chords, but in terms of actually reading music on a sheet, Paul McCartney, you know, he's written like symphonies. And yet, you know, for various instruments, for the whole orchestra, and yet he does not read music. So once again, that's an incredibly uh, inherent talent that he was born with. The guy just has melodies in him. He's, he's over 80 and he's still, you know, and, and if you ever see him, uh, you know, footage of him in the studio, I would really urge you to watch that Get Back documentary that was recently re-released uh, a couple of Christmases ago on Disney Plus to show the Beatles in the studio. And watch the way they wrote songs and and worked on songs and perfected songs and and to me the most uh, just mind blowing moment of that and it's a long it's eight hours. Paul McCartney literally you see the genesis of the song "Get Back," you know, "Get Back, Get Back to Where You Once Belong." Boom, down. 
Get back. Dun, dun, dun. He's literally, he literally sits down with a bass and starts thumping and, and, and just, and just feeling it. And suddenly you see and hear the, 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 the melody of get back. And you see this, and at first it's just there's just kind of like bum 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 bum. There's nothing there, and then all of a sudden he hits on something, and it's and then and you and then you hear the song evolving, and then George and John get involved, and then he's you know just kind of singing gibberish lyrics, some that actually stayed into the song, and some that didn't. But you see the genesis of it. There, there's no. He's not sitting down there. You always see these pictures of um, of songwriters and you know, classical. You know, they're sitting by the piano and they're they're hitting a note, hitting a chord, and they're writing it down. You know, on the on the uh, on the music sheet. No, no, that's not. Paul McCartney does not read music. I'm sure he could, but in his mind, it's like, why bother? This, those, those melodies are flowing through him. That is a that is a gift, that is a talent that cannot be taught. And I think every songwriter uh, in some way, even if Paul McCartney is not their cup of tea, if he's not your cup of tea, whatever, you still have to be uh, impressed and, and just awestruck by his ability to create a melody out of nothing. Those that 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 talent and those melodies, that those rhythms are just in him. They're just there. He's it sounds it's feel it, it looks as if there's always just some kind of a melody floating in his mind somewhere or in his hands or wherever it is. And as I said, I just didn't have that. But I don't think you have to play an instrument. To have an appreciation for music, I mean, it's pro- it probably certainly helps. I mean, like I said, I played sports, and uh, if I'm watching a football game or if I'm watching a, a baseball game or a hockey game, having played the game, I can have an appreciation for the game. I can have appreciation for the performance of the players, of what it takes maybe not certainly at the professional level but but at a level of i've I've had you know as a goalie playing hockey i've had a puck that's shot pretty fast shot at me and i've had to sight i've had to save it and i've sometimes it went past me and sometimes i saved it and sometimes it hit me and hurt me uh you know uh in the shoulder or in the the arm or whatever you know or in the you know in the face i've stood while People have thrown a 95-mile-an-hour fastball at me from 60 feet 6 inches. And sometimes I hit it and sometimes I didn't. Most of the times I didn't. <laughs> That's why I'm, I'm not playing baseball. But at least I was in those situations from watching a golf game and somebody's you know 150 yards away and they pull out a uh, you know a seven iron or something. I've done that. Now, I don't do it as well as they do, but I know what it's like. So I certainly have a different appreciation for that for somebody who's never played the game. But at the same time, I don't think that precludes you from still liking. There's there's sports fans, there's music fans, there's any fans that have never done it or done it professionally or even done it at all. They've just watched it and still have appreciation for it. And so music has always been something that I've always... uh, you know, been drawn to as I've as I've said here on the podcast, being an only being an only child, um, I had to find ways to to um, to entertain myself when I was alone. I didn't have brothers and sisters to interact with after I played with my friends during the day, and so music, the radio, records was an area that I went to uh, at an early age. So I have a great appreciation for music, and uh, I love going to concerts. I love live music. I love watching musicians at their craft because I have a, a, a great respect and appreciation for that talent and for that ability, and it is something that I wish I had. And so I enjoy watching others do it. 
And, um, I mean, I've been, as I said before, I've been to 215 Elton John concerts alone, but I've been to 500 concerts, more than 500 concerts, in addition to Elton concerts, going back to when I was 15 years old. Um, so I, I have seen a lot of live music. Uh, and, and that's not even counting if you go to a small little club and see bands like that. I'm just talking about major concerts where, you know, you, you, where you go and you buy a ticket, you know, in a, in, a, in, a, in a theater or in a stadium or an arena. So, yeah, I'm a major music fan. And I, as I said before, I, I started my career writing about music for newspapers. And I've, I've had huge uh, album and CD collections. Uh, my iPod has 24,000 songs on it, although the iPod now is, is pretty much a thing of the past. That's almost like a VCR. <laughs> but, but all those 24,000 songs were from my own record collection and CD collection that I, 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 I physically downloaded into the iPod. Song by song, album by album. So, needless to say, uh, I'm a music fan. And so, in the last couple of weeks, there has been uh, a new breakthrough in the music world, and specifically in the concert-going experience. And... To some extent, the jury is still out here um, as to is this the future of live concerts and live entertainment, music entertainment, or is it an interesting experiment, or is this literally going to change the way that we experience live music for the next 20, 30, or 40, or 50 years? That's what's really at stake here. I'm not sure if you've heard about it or not, but there is a, a new venue that just opened um, in late September called The Sphere. And it's, at the, it's in Las Vegas, right on the strip associated with the Venetian Hotel. And it's this huge, round sphere. And on the outside, it's all, I mean, it's, it's just uh, as, as much of a video, it's, 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 it's a video, you know, assault. <laughs> I mean, the, the amount of, of, of lights or whatever that's driving that thing, uh, you know, the outside is a one big video screen, if you will, in this round dome. And so to, promote it, it 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 continually flashes different images in this sphere in this round ball so basketballs the moon uh you name it anything round that image has been put onto the sphere and inside there's about i think 17,000 seats and once again because of the shape the there is the, the video completely encapsulates you it's on your sides it's up on top you are completely surrounded by video and uh, i mean it's it costs 2 billion dollars to make <laughs> which is an amazing figure i think it was um, a billion dollars over budget. It was. Uh, it's been put. Uh, it was kind of the brainchild of the of the owner of uh, Madison Square Garden. Madison Square Garden, even though it's at the Venetian in Las Vegas, uh, it is owned by um, the owner of Madison Square Garden, and he pretty much came up with the idea. And there's a lot at stake, not only just financially, but it really could change the way that we enjoy music performance from now on. 
this immersive experience. It's it's almost like a IMAX theater to the nth degree. You know, I mean, there's this spherical, uh, you know, venue uh, which has this. As I said, you're surrounded by video all around you. And also, interestingly enough, not so much, I don't think, for concerts, but they, there will always be some kind of, uh, there may be like, you know, those IMAX movies that, that show different things of nature and things like that that they show uh, in those big, those giant, giant screen theaters, which have somewhat taken off, but they didn't completely change. Most people still go to a regular movie theater. Uh, some films are made, you know, be, you know, because if they they have such expanse or special effects, they are shown in a special IMAX print to really get the effect of it. But IMAX is not the standard. There are still regular size screens, even though they're big screens, not like the huge IMAX. Uh, but um, you know. From what I understand, there's like almost 600,000 square feet of LED displays. This thing is 360 feet high and, uh, you know, and 500 or so feet uh, wide. Uh, It's just this, this massive ball. And inside, uh, your senses are just assaulted that's the only way i could i could think about it and uh now i have not seen it yet i have not been there yet i think i'm going to want to see it just to experience it but uh and certainly they they've done a smart thing they they chose you too uh to to be the the first band to play in there to to sort of be the uh you know the christening act and that makes sense not only does you two have a huge following well-known popular over the decades uh one of the great rock and roll bands but they've also always been uh very visually um directed as well at their concerts uh, I remember their pop art uh, tour about 30, almost 30 years ago that played in stadiums with the giant lemon. Uh, they've always been visual. Their Zoo TV tour, of which this kind of is reminiscent of. It was really the first use of major video screens back in the late 80s and early 90s. Um, and so they've always been forerunners, uh, you know, to use visual technology to enhance their music, even though in my view, their music is so powerful. And that's one reason why I'm, I'm a fan of U2s. I believe that their music is powerful enough that they don't need all that, those accoutrements, if you will. But, you know, Bono and Edge, certainly Bono has always had a, a vision of you two of being this big, loud, large, assaulting band. The music reflects that, and they've tried to bring that same energy and power of their music to a visual component throughout their careers. Always have. They've always tried to push the envelope technologically uh, using uh, stage designs and lights and sound. So to be the inaugural band to open the sphere, which is this entirely new concert experience, this immersive and uh, sensory concert experience, uh, makes sense, I think. They, you two was, was probably the best act to, uh, to choose for that. And I'm sure they jumped at the opportunity and it will be interesting now once they're, they're, they're doing a residency at least until the end of this year through December and into mid to late December. And then who knows if they'll come back 
And it'll be interesting to see then what is the next step. You know, there's been a lot of anticipation. They announced this several several months ago about this 25-show residency. And now it'll be interesting to see after they're done who will be next or what will be next at the Sphere because this thing costs $2 billion. So this thing can't just sit empty. I know that uh, I've seen online that the filmmaker Darren Aronofsky is also producing some kind of a uh, a film, a visual sensory uh film about the earth and nature which obviously you know has a great impact uh visually especially in this huge immersive round shell that you're sitting in and being surrounded by this imagery that as i said before i don't think there's any other word except to say a a sensory assault and so uh over the first uh you know couple of weeks the 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 band uh, and the venue have gotten very enthusiastic and rave reviews as far as what they were able to create and present. the The U two show is called U two U V Octoon Baby Live at the Sphere. Uh, Octoon Baby is one of the U two is one of their most popular albums uh it came out uh you know in in uh, in the um, what year did Octung baby come out i think it was late 80s early 90s uh and it's got you know many of the their biggest hits uh like one and mysterious ways and um you know, uh, who's going to ride your wild horses and trying to throw your arms around the world and until the end of the world and even better than the real thing. Um, so those that, that album is one of the best-selling albums, uh, if not their best-selling album, which surprised me. I, I, to me, my favorite U2 album are two. I still think The Joshua Tree is is their best i just really and i also like the unforgettable fire uh i can appreciate octum baby don't get me wrong it's a good album but i was not as i just i didn't uh i didn't go crazy about it as much as i did their other ones i think i think the joshua tree is still uh you know their best but it's their, I think it's the 30th anniversary of that. Let me, I, 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 I'm, I'm at a computer here, so let me just look this up here. And when did it come out? Why won't this? <laughs> Octung, baby. Okay. No? Okay, well, whatever. Uh, take my word for it. It's, it's, I think, the 30th anniversary of the album and uh and so it makes sense it does have its share of hits not like and they do they play the album in its entirety but not in order and then they also do a uh a little snippet in the middle of uh of some songs from a specific album and then they do some of their greatest hits obviously so uh from from all accounts uh, the band certainly has risen to the occasion, and it sounds as if the venue certainly has. It's filled. If you can go online and 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 see pictures and video from this concert, I mean, <laughs> the visuals are are out of this world. It, it it it's huge. It's immersive. I think initially, it's get it. You know, if you if you went to this, it's so different. And so new, and and so in your face that it's. I think it's hard not to be impressed with this on first on first blush on the first time you go there. What will be interesting to see is will it 
maintain that sense of wonder as the years go on. Because at the end of the day, it's still this, it's still visual video. And as I said, you know, when IMAX first came out, I think for movies, I think the thought was that these large, big screen, huge screen movies were going to take over the movie industry. And while there are, there are a certain number of IMAX theaters, it's not the norm. And so that's really where we're sitting here now with the sphere. The plan is, if the Sphere is successful in Las Vegas, that they, Madison Square Garden Company, would begin to build spheres around the world in other cities in the United States and in cities around the world and make this the de facto concert experience. So there's a lot riding on this, especially um, not only for the Madison Square Garden Company, because they've invested so much money. But it really, I think, uh, has a lot at stake for how are we going to experience entertainment and live music in the future? I mean, if you think about the genesis and the evolution of live music, you know, it started, you know, in small little groups, and then you had auditoriums and then theaters, and it went from being all acoustic to then being amplified and going from a, a small theater into a, into a huge arena and a sports arena, and then moving out of the, the, sports, the indoor sports arena to the outdoor stadium, and from the outdoor stadium to empty fields outdoors and i must say that the the technology both video wise and especially audio wise in the last 15 or 20 years has made the outdoor concert at least from an audio standpoint and visual because i mean if you look at like woodstock there was you know hundreds of thousands of people and there was no video screens I mean, you know, every there was little the, the the performers were ants, and so now when you go to an outdoor concert, uh, you know the the performer is still an ant, but at least there's these giant video screens with HD TV uh, quality and the sound systems, which used to be just terrible outdoors. They have perfected the audio to make an outdoor concert, a pretty good-sounding musical event. Now, it certainly doesn't have the nuances of a small, intimate theater and the acoustics, but given the situation, the outdoors and uh, the massive openness uh, I think that the audio for outdoor concerts have have improved. Now, I must say that still, I'm not a big fan of the outdoor concert. Never have been. I prefer a smaller, intimate, at the very least, indoor show. I mean, now, when you've got you know things like Lollapalooza, and the stadium shows with 70, 70 80,000 people. Intimate now is considered a 17,000-seat hockey arena or basketball arena. That's considered intimate. If you really do a show and a concert at a small theater that's, that, that is, a, 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 you know, like, say, Carnegie Hall or a, a smaller theater like here in Chicago, the Chicago Theater, that's really intimate. That's that's the, you know, that's now uh, a special event, depending on the size of the band and what they're able to um, to attract. But if I had my druthers, I would rather see an indoor concert 
than an outdoor concert. And proof is in the pudding. I did not go to see Bruce Springsteen recently, one of my favorites, um, at Wrigley Field in the summer. I'd seen him there before in 2012. I didn't go this time. I saw him indoors earlier in the tour in Milwaukee. He didn't play indoors here in Chicago. So I went to see him in Milwaukee indoors. And I saw footage from the outdoor shows at Wrigley Field, and they certainly looked powerful and exciting. But unless you were sitting right up in the pit, and even in the pit, you're still many feet away from the stage. Thankfully, Bruce comes down and has a has a, a smaller stage that are, it's closer to the fans and does get right up to them. So I understand that. But for a great deal of the concert, he's up on the main stage with the band. And even from the front row, whichever the front row is, you're still many, many, many feet away from him. He's still kind of small. And to me, I don't really enjoy watching a video screen. I really enjoy seeing, as I said earlier, seeing the performer in person, close up, playing the instrument, reacting, looking at the band. Um, I like to sit up close. It's not an elitist thing. It's not like, oh, I have to sit up front or I, I, I can't enjoy it. Well, it's not an elitist thing like, oh, look how close I'm sitting. That's not... Uh, that's not why I go to a concert. I don't. I'm, I'm not trying to show off. Oh, I, I'm sitting up close. It's not that. I really can't enjoy um, a, a concert if I'm not up close. I don't care about all that other stuff. Hopefully, I'm sitting close enough. Even if if I'm in an arena show, I'm sitting close enough that I don't even I can't even see or even realize that there are video screens there. I don't want to go to a concert and watch video screens. I don't really want to see all this added stuff. I'm there to see the performer and and hear the music and see the performer perform that music live. And that it's kind of becoming a lost art. That's why I think the sphere, as I said, I I, I think I, I there's a part of me certainly is a, because I'm a fan of live music and the live music experience. I certainly would. I think I want to see a show in there to see what it's all about. Just like I've seen IMAX movies. I'm a big fan of movies. So I've seen movies on a big IMAX screen, but I've rarely gone back. It's I, I'm it's, it's, I'm not I'm not that I'm always in, uh, involved when I see a movie I care about the plot and the characters. I'm not big special effects guy. I don't like the explosions or car chases or or fights. I, it, it's just it, it, it doesn't do it for me. I'm more about plot and character at the concert. I'm about performer and music and the power of the music. At many of these Elton John concerts, I've sit in the front, and you know he's got an elaborate uh, video screen and and, and and video screens on the side and things like that. And people say, "Oh, did you see that video? Or did you see?" That? I no, I did, I didn't even know there were video screens at the concert. I was watching Elton and his band in front of me. I was not looking at video screens above or on the side to see what cool effects were going it didn't matter to me i was i'm there for the music but i think that and i think that's that's based on having grown up with concerts that didn't have before those capabilities were there now at the same time throughout my lifetime those 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 visuals have become part of it. So it's not like, well, that was before your time. You know, I'm not I'm not old enough to be, you know, when when Mozart was around. There's been video screens since I've been going to concerts dating back into the 80s. So give me a break. But I've never been 
attracted to the video aspect or all that other stuff that goes around it, fireworks and all that. I'm there to see the performer. I'm there to, to experience the music. I'm there to watch the music be created. Now, that might be old school. That may be outdated. But that's how I feel. So I want to see this. I'd like to go to the sphere. I'd like to, and I, I'm a, I'm a U, U2 fan. I've seen them many times throughout their careers. So I'd like to see, I think that they're, they're a band that I would appreciate there. But I've also seen some video of people that have taken, you know, just audience members. And I don't know. It seems so overwhelming. And the band, once again, I mean, it's a 17,000-seat stadium, so it's not small. And the band almost seemed overpowered, almost not irrelevant, don't get me wrong, but but ants compared to the massiveness of this arena and the visual impact that these led screens completely immersing the audience have it's not a knock against you two or and their power or or bono's uh charisma and stage presence i i don't know anyone who can compete with the visual effects that that have to be a part of a show in the sphere i mean that's why you're going there so every show that's going to appear at the sphere is going to have to be tailored to it from a visual standpoint to take advantage of what this whole experience is and people will go into those shows expecting that visual as as i said before sensory assault especially since you too now has somewhat set a standard but that's what that whole sphere is about it's not about seeing a band play songs it's about a total immersion musical and visual experience now this sphere and its goal isn't really built i mean as i said u2 is a good band to open it because of the name recognition and the the uh the following they do things big but i i i think that as they go on you're going to see not so many older bands but you're going to see younger bands starting an acts playing that because if you look at pop music in the last 25 years it's moved away from musicians musicianship and it's moved toward presentation you know, if you go to see Beyonce or Taylor Swift or or the biggest acts right now that are filling stadiums and breaking records, they they have elaborate choreographed effects laden shows. That's where pop music is. The generation growing up is used to and demands and craves multiple sensory stimulation. And they also crave to be involved. That's where the immersive part of the sphere plays into. Because, as I said before, I don't know if they're doing it for the U2 show, but for other types of exhibits or other types of presentations, in addition to uh, live music, as I said, they might be showing films with amazing graphics. But in this sphere, they have the ability to, to pump in smells and sounds and air and fog that you're, so you are completely, you, you're all your senses of smell and touch and hearing and seeing will be stimulated. And that's where it seems if entertainment 
isn't there. It's where it's going because that's what's that's about the only thing that's missing is attacking and stimulating all those other senses. But that's what people want today. Younger people want to be involved. They don't want to be passive. As I said before, when I was talking about sports a few weeks ago, that's why we have fantasy sports. That's why they're. That's why betting is so you know popular. Today's fan going and watching the game is not enough. They need more stimulation. That's why when you go to a to a new stadium now, you see there's all these different activities, especially at baseball games at, at baseball stadiums because the kids need they, they the kids can't sit down for two and a half or three hours and just watch a baseball game they need to be moving around they need to be stimulated football fans need they'll watch the game but they also oh they're if they're watching the game on tv they're they, they with their fantasy teams they they have a vested interest now if they're, if they're betting online they're betting everyone with all these different betting apps now they are involved in the game. They're not playing it, but they're getting as involved as they can be by not without being a participant. And that's a huge difference than the way going to a sporting event was 20 or 30 years ago. It was a passive event. You went to the game, you cheered, certainly, but you watched it and others played it. But that is not the way... Uh, a younger generation used to having you know technology and 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 having instant communication uh and being you know beginning with mtv and things like that you know uh constant attention span constant need for stimulation constant need for to be doing something and so the sphere plays into that because every song has some visual aspect. It might have some, some, uh, some smell to it, some touch to it moving forward. The sphere is not built for me and why I go to a concert. Now, yes, like I said, I'm a fan of you too. I've seen them play small theaters of less than 1,000 people when they first started. So I've seen their entire evolution from being a, a very young upstart band to being the biggest band in the world. And they, as I said before, they are, they are in tune to pushing the, the visual and the communal envelope. But as I said, you know, and, and, and even there's the stage setup is kind of like a, it's very cool. It looks like a big turntable, the stage that they're on. So that's kind of a neat thing. But even from the closest uh, seats from the video that I've seen that people have taken, uh, the, the, the immenseness of the sphere and the huge and, 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 and imagery that's constantly flashing around the audience while the songs are going on i i wonder how much the band is needed and when i say that i mean i wonder if you could have had all the same visual aspects of the u2 show Without having the band there, what if you had? What if you played all these U two songs that they played, and all that immersive video around you? Would it be the same experience? I don't know. But all I know is is that when I was seeing the video, the band looked like ants. And the, 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 the video screens were so massive and the images were so just eye-popping that I wonder how much people were paying attention to the band. 
I'm sure they flashed pictures of them every so often on the screens as well. But for the most part, they were pre-made, visually exciting, visually uh, explosive videos on this screen to augment the songs. And many times, I would think they probably even overcame the songs and overcame the band. And so for a band like you too, that's unfortunate because they are great live performers. But as I said before, I think music, today's pop music, is moving in that direction where it's all about presentation. Most of the, the, the performers today don't play uh, instruments, the, the, the headliners, they don't play instruments. Uh, even if they do, they're dancing in these huge choreographed, uh, you know, with 15 people around them. And so most of the time, they're singing to a pre recorded track because it's hard to dance for three hours and not lose your breath. So you're already hearing pre recorded music. And they're lip syncing and they're doing all these dancing. So as music now has become much more visual, it started in the 80s with MTV. There's no question about that. MTV was a game changer. And I've talked about that before. It shifted and made music visual. And 40 years later, when we watched the visualization of music happen still on our 20 inch screens at home. I mean, in the eighties, if you had a 25 inch TV set, that was big. 25 inch set was big in the eighties. Now we've got 60. I mean, everybody's got at least 45 inch sets. Some people have 60. Some people have 80, but 40 years ago, When MTV started, most people had maybe a 15 to 20 to 25-inch screen. Some people had a big screen, and even then, the quality was not that good. The average TV set screen was probably between 15 and 25 inches in the 80s and early 90s. And that's what we were watching music on, on MTV when it first started 30 years ago, 40 years ago. Now, we have this 300-foot sphere with LED technology immersing the audience. And so, music is certainly, in the sphere, a visual experience as much, if not more, than an audio experience. And so it will be interesting to see which acts go in there next, what, how they use the space, how they use the video. But I, I, I just wonder, will this be the norm? Is this the future? Or is it an elaborate luxury, which is really like the IMAX? This is, it's going to be very interesting. The IMAX theater may have just been a little before its time. But maybe all with the sphere, maybe it's a perfect storm. Maybe it's we're we're at the brink of that. Because when you see these big shows like Taylor Swift with, you know, and, and Beyonce, these huge stage setups with effects and choreography, and huge video screens. It's not that far away. It's as, Im- it's, it's as immersive as it can be in that setting because we're taking a pre-existing setting, the baseball stadium or the football stadium, and we're creating this visual 
presentation within the constructs of this previously built structure. Where the sphere is unique is the sphere is built specifically for an immersive experience. For an experience to stimulate many senses. Which is what today's audiences crave or soon will demand. And maybe the sphere will will initiate that demand. It's too soon to tell. There's certainly a huge factor of mystery. I want to see it. I want to experience it. So there's going to be a lot of 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 that initial you know in, inquisitive like let me I want to go see this this uh experience this immersive concert experience of your favorite act whether it's you two or Taylor Swift or or who whoever it might be so there's initially going to be some experimentation by by both the casual as well as the the serious uh you know concert fan but then it'll be interesting to see does that become the norm or is it just like an IMAX theater which is it's an it's an interesting add-on but it's not the new standard but I think, as I said, IMAX may have been a little before its time because people, you know, weren't ready for that yet, perhaps. We weren't as technically uh, savvy when the IMAX came. And some people will always go to see IMAX movies. I, don't get me wrong. But it's not, it's not the, the normal theater. This sphere, this bet is that this sphere becomes the new norm. There's, a, there's billions of dollars being bet on that. Now, it's easy for me to say, I think this will be a novelty and it'll go away. And once everybody gets a little curiosity factor that it will be done and it will be this interesting, unique thing that might just be uh, special to Las Vegas. Oh, you go to Las Vegas and you see the sphere, but you won't see a sphere in New York or in Chicago or in London or wherever or in Tokyo because it just it it it's it's unique, but it's not the ultimate experience that people want. It's easy to dismiss it and just say it's a novelty. And it's an interesting add-on. But I also think that that view might be old-fashioned. As I said, uh, I don't think the sphere was made for me. The sphere was made for younger people who have grown up being stimulated by many senses and who always want to be involved in the action as opposed to just observing it. And the sphere, I think, at least from what I've seen and what I've read so far, delivers that. And with time, it could even go farther. So the jury's out. If 20 years from now, there will be 10 spheres around the world, and that will be where the biggest acts play, and that will be what fans demand and expect or there will be one sphere in las vegas where acts will go and play a a residency of a couple of weeks or so but will still be going to football stadiums or arenas or small theaters or clubs for the most part but I, I don't know. I think there's a different mindset now. But for me, I think if I, if I do go to see the Spirit, if I do go to see you 2 there, I don't know if I'm going or not. 
I think I'm going to be blown away and impressed. But I think by the third or fourth song, I'm going to be a little bored. I'm going to be a little disappointed because I'm not going to be able to really see the band playing live in front of me. I don't like to go to a concert and see and watch the video screens. That's not my thing. So as much as I, hey, look, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm able to be impressed by and blown away by, uh, you know, some visual stimulation. Don't get me wrong like that. But when I go to a concert and when I go to see a band and when I want to see, be moved by the music, it's the music that delivers the excitement and the power. Not the visual. So I have a feeling that I will, if I do go, I will be impressed. I will enjoy it. But unless there's somebody that I really like, I mean, I could, I could imagine how cool, for instance, if Elton played there, how cool the video presentation for the song Rocket Man could be in a sphere with a look of space and planets, that could be pretty cool. So that might be something that impresses me. But I don't know if I would just go see a band or anything for the heck of it because it's cool to go to the sphere. I don't know. But I think we are in the midst of a a possible game changer here of how we experience music in the future. The ball's in your court. And so ends another episode of Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic. Every Monday, a new episode is posted at WGNRadio.com or wherever you go to find your favorite podcast. We are there. And don't forget to tell your friends, tell your family, tell anybody who listens to a podcast your favorite podcast is Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic, and it should be theirs, too. Your loyalty and devotion are much appreciated. Hope you enjoyed episode number 385. I'm Jim Toronto. I am here on business. I'm only here for fun. You've been listening to Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic. From the end of the web to your screen or your sphere. <laughs>